0: Attention culture consumers, join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights, Colleen McMillan, Flo Siegel, and Anders Drew, on Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.
1: It's our third annual Forgotten Horror Spooky Spectacular. Is that really what we're calling it? It's what I'm calling it. We should be calling it Presented by John Carpenter as we're doing two of his films this year with Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. We're also getting stranded with bloodthirsty vampires for 30 days of night and trying to scare Jessica to death in Let's Scare Jessica to Death. You didn't think that last one through, did you? Nope. Forgotten Horror is back. And as always, we're part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Keep it spooky, y'all.
0: Hello and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at Nomcast Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. All right, we are back with more Netflix and Chills 2021 coverage and here to break down a couple of the horror releases that have been released thus far, all with a 3D printer molding of his own face over his own face. Is Shane Beauregard of Media Mosh. How are you, my friend? I am doing well, sir. Uh, And I'm beginning to think you don't like me very much by uh,
1: (laughs) the movies that you are having me watch. I just want (laughs) to put that out there right now. But I'm glad to be here with you tonight going over these movies.
0: You and every probably guest I've had in the last four months, I've had to be like, so uh, diminishing returns <laughs> and then kind of, you know, go through, go through the, the PTSD of it all. You know, I, even going on, on other podcasts now where I'm just like, yeah, tell us what you've been up to. I'm like, I, I don't know if I really want to, uh, it's cause it's been kind of a slog. You know, this, you cover the same stuff. You watch this stuff. You know, it's, it's a little tough when, you know, you're getting out flanked by a squid, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's good game, uh, midnight mass, all these things that we're not covering. So sorry to everybody else, but you know, it is still the horror Halloween season and we're looking forward to a lot of these shame. We we've done the preview game with this and now we finally get to, to review some of these, um, outside of like it kicked off kind of sort of with night books. We talked about that one when we were doing the other preview and then, you know, it kind of evolve from there, and the two we're going to cover today, uh, There's Someone Inside Your House, which came out this past Wednesday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, the day of release, it was out last week. Um, the week before that was No One Gets Out Alive, we will cover that one as well, and then uh, if you're looking for something that you know might get a little better stuff, but I haven't seen it, uh, at least there's still hope, uh, <laughs> Fever Dream. Uh, is another horror film. It seems like every single Wednesday, right, Shane? Every single Wednesday is a new horror film uh, for the month of October. You know, We'll see how many of them actually stick the landing, but we got Fever Dream uh, on the 13th here, and then Night Teeth on the 20th, and then they wrap it all up with Hypnotic on the 27th. So, And Army of Thieves, if you count that on the 29th.
1: Or that really crappy Polish horror movie that should be coming out this month as well.
0: Yeah, I keep forgetting that one. I wonder why, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to start up top with there's someone inside your house because this was the one that we kinda, you know, kind of agreed that, you know, we earmarked this one as the one that could blow up, right? Right. Because you got the shiny, shiny uh perspective of James Wan as a producer and Sean Levy as a producer. By the way, Shane, uh, whether you want to talk about it now or, or some other time, also watch Malignant. Last night, so uh, I uh, I think you were out on that one. So I'm interested to have that conversation with you at some point. Um, but you know, I wanted to round out my spookiness, round out my <laughs> Halloween time. But this one, there's someone inside your house. Had you know pedigree with the director, the writer, and the producers. Had a few people that were interesting in the cast, and I thought the trailer was very well done. At least to hook into. Kind of the age level that they were looking to get eyeballs to this movie. Um, some of the notables we already mentioned James Wan and, and Sean Levy, whose 21 Laps uh, production group is known for Stranger Things and Free Guy and a bunch of other major popular projects that uh, he is known for. But we also have the director, Patrick Bryce, who did Creep and Creep 2. This is written by Henry Gayden, who uh, is the writer of. Shazam and the upcoming Shazam sequel so to me I kind of peaked up with that one because when this movie starts you get a lot of kind of like humor and snark and real kind of depictions of like genuine conversations that kind of kids would have and I was like oh I think that's that's where this guy shines and I was impressed with that Uh, it's also starring Sydney Park who plays Makani Young the lead here she was in Moxie for Netflix she was on The Walking Dead for a few years so There's a lot of people here who made this thing very interesting. Uh, The plot reads, Makani Young has moved from Hawaii to quiet small town Nebraska to live with her grandmother and finish high school. But as the countdown to graduation begins, her classmates are stalked by a killer intent on exposing their darkest secrets to their entire town, terrorizing victims while wearing a lifelike mask of their own face. With a mysterious past of her own, Makani and her friends must discover the killer's identity before they become victims themselves. This is based on the novel of the same name by Stephanie Perkins. And what I want to kind of say up top for everybody, we're going to immediately spoil these movies. I have no patience to kind of just let this kind of go because, you know, these movies are 90 minutes. They've been out for a minute we're going to just rock and roll with these. Uh, so if you haven't seen these and you maybe want to skip these and come back to this episode, but Shane, I know we kind of talked off air a little bit about uh, this film and and maybe some of the issues that you had with it. Give me a good first impressions before we kind of rip into the detail.
1: Okay. Before we get into the details, the, I, you were correct. This is one of the ones I earmarked. This is probably the top of the mo- one of the movies I wanted to see from what we went over. Here's what I wrote down real quick as the positives for me. I like the first scene of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really good start to the movie. I thought the kills in this movie were good when there were some. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much about it.
0: Uh- <laughs> I also thought, and maybe why you like the kills, uh, just to kind of read the tea leaves potentially, is that I think this movie was also shot pretty well, too. I, there were some of. The, you know, the imagery that they used and some of the, like, uh particular, uh, the the shot when Makani comes into her kind of crime scene, if you will, and then uh, the the kind of shot of the killer in the window behind her and the reveals with those. Some of those were very well done, and I definitely echo your sentiment with the first scene, especially because you get to take your time with it and kind of discover what you're about to get into.
1: Right. And then the problem I had, it, and the acting was fine i don't i've never seen the, the lead actress before like you said she was on walking dead but i stopped mm. watching that 18 years ago so <laughs> yes, remember, when we were young <laughs> yes i don't remember her from that show but you know the cast was okay i liked you know it was fine but as the movie kind of progressed and we got to the actual plot of the movie i just like put my hands on my head i'm like what the what are we doing here with the plot of this movie like when you yeah. all wrap it up with what I call the the young Ryan Gosling look alike, you know the discount <laughs> Gosling, uh, I think that was Zach's character there. Um, yes, it,
0: that is true. It,
1: it just didn't make a whole a whole lot of sense as this movie was going along to me. And then I'll, I'll let you like talk spoilers, and I'll piggyback off of you. But like once these kills started happening, it's like really it, it just it. I know what he Zach was. Well, I oops, there you go. I know what the killer was trying to do. But it just it just didn't make any sense. And I know horror movies, in my in my view, sometimes they don't need a plot. Like, it's, it is what it is. But I thought this movie was going to be smarter than what it was. I was really expecting something like I Know What You Did Last Summer or even like a Scream type of situation. And I felt like it just fell flat in between those kind of movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely you're looking at uh, a film that kind of aped, at least in the trailer, or even parts of the movie tried to really poke at that I know what you did last summer vibe because you're kind of getting taken out one by one secrets are abound you know so you're kind of like who why is this person going after these people in particular what's the connection and you know the intention behind them and I think to help me crystallize it I watched it twice and I think to crystallized too i I had a good laugh i don't know if you're a hannibal burris fan as far as uh comedy is concerned i am yep uh so he has uh one of his jokes in one of my favorite specials uh animal furnace is he talks about this song this rap song that like has three different parts to it where he's like you know burning something like basically it's like two really hardcore things and then they end on and fuck school like (laughs) like why are you hardcore and then just really messed up about truancy like it gets really you know downgraded really fast i feel like this is that movie in 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 that form where it's like i wrote down the deaths the first death is a jock who hazed a kid to death that's harsh
1: wait hold on real quick
0: Real quick, they sure. kid
1: it was Caleb that he hazed. So Caleb survived. Remember that. He didn't he just beat him up so
0: bad. He didn't end up killing him. Am I wrong in that? No, they wanted they wanted to pin this on Caleb. So they were kind of thinking that he's the killer, Caleb, uh, because he was on the football team. He was the only one who didn't get the video, and they kind of like, you know, made <laughs> it seem like he hired someone to kill the other kid. So
1: Okay, wow! Well, yeah. I totally missed that. I thought, okay, I thought <laughs> Caleb was the one on the ground. That's why. I...
0: Yeah, no, this was just, I think, uh, a haze went wrong and they covered it up. So, again, kind of like, uh, you know, I know what you did last summer. You covered up something and it bit you in the ass. So, the first death is that. Then the next one is a closet racist who gets killed in a church and strung up and, you know, her podcast gets, uh, you know, put out there of all her racist, you know, overtones there. And then the next one is a kid addicted to pain kills. What? Like pain pills? Like that's, that's your big problem. That's. That's a lot of kids that, like, you're lucky it's just pain pills. <laughs> like, he's probably surrounded by people who are, like, closet, you know, coke addicts, you know, especially if it's in a rich area, <laughs> you know? Like, what are we doing here? This kid has a—he's uh, almost, like, reaching out for help, and he's kind of a good kid. You're like, wait a minute. I thought we were just getting rid of, like, supreme assholes, big pieces of work. And then, you know, from there, it's like, then Makani uh, gets the attempt. okay. Well, we don't know what Makani's backstory is just yet. So maybe she deserves it. So maybe we're getting back on track. And then it's like Caleb gets stabbed and, and Michaela kind of, you know, almost gets framed for that one. Then Zach's dad, okay, he's a D bag. So it kind of ebbs and flows. It doesn't seem to have cohesion until we see why ish at the end. And man, that last, that third act, everything in that corn maze, I wanted to punch someone in the face. That's exactly how I felt.
1: And that's where the movie just, inf- I don't even want to say infuriated me, but I just kind of put my head, my hands in my head. I'm like, thank God this is only 90 minutes long. Just that's, yeah, just, that's all I
0: kept thinking about. But that's, a, that was the rope-a-dope that I had though. I, even on rewatch, cause it was enough time in between that. I kind of forgot some things about this movie. So I was glad to rewatch it at least. But then I was like 45, 50 minutes in. I was like, okay, like basically until Ollie, uh, when, when they're in the cornfield, and, and he kind of outs her and knows what she did. That's when the movie, I thought, started to go shitty. <laughs> because he's, like, you know, calling out her name. It gets really cartoonish in the dialogue. And, uh, and then it only gets more painful from there because that's when we get to, you know, the attempt on Makani. And then, you know, all the subsequent things like uh, the attack in the high school, which makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> the attack in the high school, I don't know how it goes from Makani's standing in front of Caleb. Caleb gets stabbed by the killer. The killer hands her the knife that stabbed Caleb. And then she automatically looks up and sees the corn maze poster and is like, Uh, we got to get to the corn maze. A lot of people are in trouble. What? Why? Why would that be? He kills people one-on-one most of the time. Like how, how is this a thing? The only thing was the party. Otherwise, I don't know why it just went. for emergency. Nope. Emergence? It just went sideways. I, I, I echo the same sentiments. I just didn't understand
1: that whole corn maze thing. And uh, it just, it's very frustrating to me. Then the whole Ollie character, like you said, it just went sideways. Like, what are you doing? And then again, when we find out why he's doing what he's doing, it's like, Okay, even uh, who was that character? She even called it out on him, like you are killing people because you are privileged. You are upset because you are privileged.
0: Yeah, that whole speechifying thing at the end was so bad, and th- that's really what made me. I, you know, the scores are this. I didn't fully write all of them down, but I know this one of all the ones that I've watched is getting eviscerated. Yes, and, like it's it's like sub five on IMDb. I
1: think when I checked Rotten Tomato, the critic score was nineteen percent. Audience score was at 42%. Right.
0: Which, again, I think, not that I want to defend this movie that we're like ripping apart right now, but it's mo- like probably almost two thirds good. And, and like, so it's tough for me to just completely shit on it. But at the same time, the ending is bad enough. I think in horror movies and kind of mysteries, certain things like where you're laying out the breadcrumbs to try to, you know, figure out the whodunits of it all and then wait for the payoff. If you you have to have such a good ending, M. Night Shyamalan knows this better than anybody. Like, if you nail the ending, a lot of people can forgive you. If you have a good movie and then the ending sucks, people never forgive you because ultimately they think you wasted their time and then all the criticisms start coming out.
1: Right, and I, I feel that's where this movie—if uh, this movie would have had a little more dark humor in it as well, or at least made some of the characters likable, where I actually gave a shit about
0: them—yeah,
1: that would be one thing. Because at least with most teen movies, slasher movies, whether it's Scream or whatever it is, you you have an attachment to a couple of characters in there, and they give you enough of their backstory. Yeah. I didn't, outside of the main character here, and I—I'm going to butcher her name, but you know, Sydney uh, uh, McConnie. Um, outside yeah. of that, you don't really have any of their backgrounds. I never gave a crap about any of them. And even her so-called story on what she was trying right. to cover up wasn't that bad in retrospect.
0: No, because you figure all the details are laid out probably in the court case. Now, again, are a lot of kids going to care? I understand moving. I do. Right. But, you know, you're done. You got, like, you're, you're out of the court system. You move to a different place. You have friends. If they out you... Uh, it kind of goes the way of how it went in the movie. It's like they all kind of rallied around you thinking, "We know you by this. We don't know you by that. We trust your your perspective on it and let's move on." You know, the the shitty part now is that we have a killer out there. Which so that was the other thing too. I have I have two things I want your opinion on. Number 1, <laughs> the the corn maze stuff where it's so They roll up to a corn maze that's on fire. Okay, a lot of people are probably trapped inside, but you know it's corn. We'll figure. I'm sure there may be some way out. We'll figure it out. But their idea was, hey, your car's shitty. Let's drive through the on fire corn maze in a car that you know, especially if it is so shitty. um, A that that gas tank looks like a nice fun explosive that might happen. Um or how in in the blistering heat of a fire that intense and the smoke and everything else did no one I didn't get one person pass out. I didn't they got out of the car and started helping people. Nobody's even coughing. (laughs) Like I was like what what the hell is the effect that they have over this corn maze that they're, you know, completely above board and everybody else is, you know, dying inside.
1: You know, I thought about that, too. But I also thought about that as they gunned it into the corn maze. I'm like, why don't you
0: start plowing over your own classmates? <laughs> yeah, you're going in blind. It's literally a maze. You can't see anything. <laughs> so yeah, they just, that would have been way better. <laughs> they just decided we're going
1: to clear this path. We're going to gun it. We don't know where anyone's was at. We, like you said, we can't see anything. It's smoky. It's fire. Let's just gun it, man. I, I was waiting for someone to hop in their hood and get hit and just, you know, something. <laughs>
0: I hear you man, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but I, I love that. I love that. But yeah, it's so dumb. There's zero irony in this movie too because after all that happens, you know, it's, you get the girl. You know, the end girl who pushed a classmate into a fire, that's her big uh, news thing, gets to deliver a poem at graduation with the words fire and flame in it like nothing ever happened. with And no one thinking that's a bad idea because she killed Zach in the end. Spoiler, of course. Um, but I'm sure everyone was super forgiving and nice after they saw her story. And n- no one was like... Oh, maybe she did it. Cause you know, no one was there when she killed Zach, you know, right. Some people could have thought like, you know, I like Zach. Zach was, he wouldn't do that. You know, like who, who knows? And meanwhile, I can understand her maybe, you know, okay. I survived. I'm going to move on again or something, but to literally go unscathed, be like, I'm going to the prom with Ollie and I'm going to do a graduation speech. Like I'm vitamin C. What are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, that was ridiculous. The other like stupid part I had rolling through my head is when I when they pan to the crowd with all their friends. I'm like, you all have like the same last names. Like, are you just all <laughs> alphabetical now? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> but I know a small like nonchalant detail. But in the scheme of the way the ending of this movie went, I'm like, yeah, you should have spread them out during the crowd a little bit more. You know.
0: Instead of all having them sit in the front row right there for her speech. And I'm like, yeah. And grandma or whoever the hell was there up front too. There's so many little things that they did to set up that don't exactly pan out. Like, you know, they, they make, uh, the grandmother or whatever into a sleepwalker with a, you know, sleep disorder or whatever, you know, just, uh, just enjoy. Add, add yeah, just to add like a bell on a door and and the possibility that it's her walking around instead of a killer. Like, do we really need all that? It didn't really add too much. I mean, you're in isolation. If a door's open or whatever, it's freaky no matter what. You don't need all that. Um, and in fact, when I first read the description of this story, I thought I thought she just moved there not knowing much at all like anyone at all i i forgot that it was like she was kind of moving in with family or at least someone who was looking after her it's like okay it still made her a little bit deeper at least in the beginning so i'm but, not gonna you know dwell on it too much but i think you're absolutely right like i like the beginning more and i think the reason for that is because she had all those friends around she had people to bounce off of there were ideas being bounded you know uh whether it's uh you know who, uh, who is the killer conversation or, you know, why these people died. So at least you're getting kind of like the, an audience reaction inside the movie in a way, but that all kind of dies as things progress and it becomes very one note. And and, and obviously the, the ending really, really killed it.
1: Right. And I thought, again, I think they missed out on some opportunity, some humor because when the, when the jocks were making their jokes, it reminded me very much of like a scene from Heathers with those jocks. You know, I love my daycare. Sure. Getting- You know, that kind of thing. And I thought if they just would have had some more humor in there sprinkled out and made this a little more balance between fun and slasher, it just fell flat on the fun and humor part for me.
0: Yeah, I'm very interested, especially when it's uh, these things that are uh, adapted from books, you know, that, you know, especially if the books were successful to kind of go back and see what made it successful and what they may have missed in terms of uh you know the tone of things or what they could have adjusted you know to make it a little bit uh more fun as you're saying or at least you know the thing with horror movies especially if you're adapting them from the written page you either have to amp up the kills right you have to make them more cinematic make them pop make them sing to really kind of make it draw you in you know because you're setting up all these things that on the page you're reading it and you're following it along this one You really have to make it believable, you know, and I thought they did that well in the first act and then it really kind of slowed down in the middle and then the trash pile uh, of the end.
1: Right. And you make a good point, like since it's coming, you know, being translated from a book, because what I also I felt like there's only three kills, like you said, where I thought there should have been a little bit more. And it's like they didn't go for it because two people just got run through with Caleb yeah. and Ollie, and, oh, they they survived. I mean, literally got run through where the blades, like, sticking 12 inches out of their stomach, yeah. and both of them survived. There's, there's, like, no, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but there's no, like, you know, going for, like, killing off major characters, like.
0: No, and, and it's not like we had enough of a connection to it. I thought <laughs> if anybody you should have had die was Ollie in the end because, you know, then she's back on an island by herself and really feeling that isolation That she should have because she's gone through hell, you know, to get to where she is. And now she's back in that situation that Zack put her in. You know, make her a final girl. Make her this whole thing where you don't need Ollie. You know, she's taking care of it herself. But her story is compelling enough. But I think there's not enough of a through line with her and where it gets to the end. And that's why the Zach thing is like, A, a little on the nose. And B just not not worthy of kind of being the parallel thought to to M- character. Right.
1: Right. I totally agree with everything you just said. Totally agree. Yeah.
0: Just yeah, cuz I mean let me down. Yeah. Uh, cuz you know, again, she's on the run, she's got a troubled history. So the secrets thing is compelling, but once her story doesn't fully match up to the people who already got killed. And the fact that Zach is kind of hanging out with them while also picking some of his own friends off. I was like, all right, wouldn't you pick off other people who are not your friends first? Like, why is it so quick to, to nail these guys? And that's why I didn't understand about uh, the first death of their friends. Uh, what's his name? Ricardo? Hold on. Rodrigo. Rodrigo's hey. character. Who Like, when he, when he dies outside of the party or whatever, you know, why him? Uh, It's not like, you know, you know, when he was starting to make a move on Alex or when that was coming together, like that was the final straw. It always seems like the motives make sense sort of on paper, like everybody's got a a lie. But, you know, what's one big thing that I I thought about with this one? And that was the other thing I wanted you to comment on was wouldn't just exposing them be enough? Wouldn't it actually almost be worse because they get to twist in their own stuff. He immediately like tells everybody and then murders them right away. Like there's no there's like what a couple a minute in between like hey, I sent everything to the phones to be like this did this person deserve to die? Hey, I killed them anyway. And you know, so it doesn't really matter. If you <coughs> wouldn't it make more of an impact if you exposed that jock in the beginning and have him be like well, how many other people know? Did he tell everybody? Oh, he did tell everybody. Now I have to worry, are the police after me? Am I gonna get expelled? That's way more menacing than just like, hey, I exposed you. Now I'm gonna cut your ankle and then stab you.
1: Right. And I the only scene I didn't have an issue with that is the one you're just talking about because I, I like I do like that opening scene. But you're right, and let them twist in the wind a little bit and, and really like get out to the kind of person they really were, especially the girl, the racist girl with the podcast. Uh, right you know that he kills in the church like let her twist a little bit you know what i mean let it get out where people are like oh my god do you can you believe she said this on her podcast yeah and i was like nope 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 just take this in the back of the head and let's move on
0: well and that i guess that's why it makes him bad right because in general if he's just exposing people's secrets and those secrets are pretty damning isn't he kind of doing something good yeah, and that In a way.
1: the whole that goes to the whole plot like what his motives were. He had no more like I, he had no motives. And that's what like drove me crazy about this movie.
0: Yeah, his motives are what to show up his dad cuz he's always doing that, but then also kind of show up everyone for kind of, you know, either equating him with his dad or kind of just, you know, uh mocking him because of his privileges privilege right Uh, being rich and uh having a successful parent or any of these things it's like um can't you swallow that it's not that hard like you you can go home and either cry on your money or just survive high school like everybody else does and fucking move on with your life because you could go literally anywhere else in the world not fucking nebraska i don't want to give this a second watch but it
1: seemed like his now that i think about it it seems like his motives of changed because he once he attempted to kill her and wasn't successful it just seemed like he pivoted now maybe i got this wrong he was trying to frame everything on her because she was the new girl with all the secrets in town and he was just going to lay all these murders out on her did you get that feeling or did i miss that as well
0: a little yeah it kind of feels like that once it twists where maybe he got the bigger scoop on her and can kind of pin it towards that way he also really fans the flame of the ollie thing and she's the only person who would kind of stomp out those flames. You know, she's the only person really backing him. But that's why I tracked the deaths because I was like, what lines up here? What looks like the continuation? What does the motive change? When does the motive change happen? Are the motives normal? Uh, because to me, um, <laughs> when he says, I want to stop all these people from laughing at me and judging me again, you killed two of your closest friends before you killed any of these other douchebags? Why? Right. What did, did you have a clock in mind? I have to kill a certain amount of people before my dad? You are really rushing it to get to the corn maze?
1: I thought his motives changed once he stabbed Caleb and gave her the knife. That's when I thought his motives kind of changed a little bit. He was going to try to pin everything on her somehow.
0: Yeah. Or maybe he thought that if he kind of pitched it towards her and Ollie or some kind of version thereof that Ollie has the best chance to get away with it. Cause he's got the connections with his brother in the police station. But I don't know. I, again, this is why this is not a very good movie. All told it has, a. you could tell it has a, enough style and substance from, you know, the, the craftspeople here. And I'm not really too mad at a lot of the performances. I just think it's a wayward script, you know, Correct. and, it, and also, because uh, you can, this guy who played Zach, you easily could have had him, he could have laid out the greatest uh, speech in the world uh, back there. But if those are the words coming out of his mouth, they still make no sense. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know what you can do here uh, if you're a performer that could say, oh, yeah, no, I, I completely nailed this. You got it. Um, so, uh, We'll see, man. But uh, the reactions are not positive uh, across the board. And I kind of understand why. And like I said, I think people go really for the throat if you fuck up an ending to a horror movie or any kind of like whodunit ish, especially. Like, this is not a straight slasher. No. You know, um, wh- after uh, watching it, though, what did you think of the whole 3D printing thing? Did you feel like that's a lot of effort? Or did you be like, like, is this actually necessary or is it just a fun gimmick? Because he he even says in his stupid speech at the end, he's like, you know how hard it is to print up these things? It's like, well, then why did you?
1: I think it was just part of his gimmick. You know what I mean? And I actually did like that part. Again, I thought it was a little, <laughs> you know, for a slasher film like this. But like he even, like you said, he pokes fun at himself. Like, God, I put so much effort into this. Like, yeah. and what was the real payoff of it? Really? Right. And, you know, just I think it was a gimmick thing. It was like I actually wrote that down. I kind of liked that little part in here, hmm. but I echo everything you said. The script is what really failed this movie. It was the writing.
0: Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Uh, gosh, I'd probably, I probably, you know, get closer to some of these other thoughts. I'm probably at you know, it's a one and a half or two uh, on uh, out of five kind of a thing. I gave know. it a two. Yeah. It, I feel like there was enough that I enjoyed before the end that I can say it's probably more a two than a one and a half. But when you're splitting those hairs, still not doing pretty (laughs) good there. Sorry, everybody. Uh, So that was, again, the, and I think, especially watching it with the hype that I kind of mentally put behind it, like of all the ones in the month, this was the one we focused on and let down. And especially once I watched malignant too, I was like, James Wan, you need some, Maybe maybe a little perk. I don't hate uh malignant, by the way. Um, just for everybody. There are people who hate it. I understand it. I actually am glad that I stuck to the end because I actually kind of enjoyed you know a little bit of the stupidity of the end. So, you know, uh with how they do the demon stuff. I'm not gonna ruin malignant for people, but you know, we'll save that conversation. I really do want to talk to you about it. But the one we are gonna talk about is kind of the, the backup one where I was like, this one you know, also could, you know, have some legs, uh, which, uh, will prove ironic that statement in a minute. Um, no one gets out alive, which came out at the end of September on the 29th. Um, this is a movie that, you know, uh, it's always tough. We kind of said when we were previewing is like, there are certain things that it's like, Oh, this sounds very cool and inventive. I like the trailer, but then we always have the red flags. Don't we Shane? Where it's like, huh. Hey, it's directed by a person doing their first feature film. With Netflix, this is strongly not good for the most part. Every now and then you get uh, you know, something like a His House, which I will mention probably four times in this <laughs> review, um, where, again, it was a first feature, uh, written, directed, so it was more of an auteur thing, and that person was taking on an immigrant story. Sound familiar to this one? Because this one is about an immigrant in search of the American dream who, after being forced to take a room in a boarding house, finds herself in a nightmare she can't escape. This is also based on a novel of uh, the same name, this time by Adam Neville, who also wrote the novel for The Ritual, uh, which was a Netflix or original that I liked. Uh, this movie is also produced by the team who made The Ritual, uh, Andy Serkis, who people would know for his amazing work uh, with kind of uh, 3D rendered characters like Gollum or uh, Caesar in the Planet of the Apes uh, movies, or, uh, and then David Bruckner is the other tandem of that. He also produced The Night House, which came out this year as well. But like I said, directed by Santiago McGuini, who is its first feature it's written by a tandem, John Croker, who wrote The Woman in Black 2, and also Paddington 2. You remember that whole shrug moment there, Shane? I do. And that, and then it's also written by Fernanda Koppel, who is you know, mostly known <clears throat> for writing TV, uh, How to Get Away with Murder, From Dust Till Dawn, the series. So not exactly inside the film realm. Um, but again, a lot of things here that I did like... On paper, that made me interested, and I did enjoy the trailer, it looked kind of spooky. So I was like, okay, this can go a lot of different ways. And the reason why I brought up his house uh, for obvious reasons for the immigrant story, but I think it really tells the difference or why I maybe had issues with this film is that I thought the immigrant story, and I said this when we reviewed uh, his house. I think that's a great way to enter the a world of kind of unease and anxiety because who's more anxious than a person who moves into a country that you know no one or and you're trying to just gain your footing, gain employment, you're not allowed to be there, you're not legal, you know, you're constantly looking over your shoulder, you you can't call the police. Who's a better target for something to happen than a newly immigrant right so that's why i thought this worked really well especially in the first act and into the second act i think it was very effective i was very invested in the story of ambar I, i know it's probably just amber but the way it's spelled i think they even pronounce it that way so apologies if it's not but it's A M B A R, so you do the math. Um, Christina Rodlow uh, from The Terror and Tool, Old to Die Young plays her. She's the lead here. There's a couple of very good uh character actors who we kind of see later that are involved at the in the terror that's inside the house. But other than that, a lot of people that maybe you don't recognize are lesser day players. Um, but I will tell you, Shane, I was invested in this movie. I liked it, and I think after I finished it, I, you know, messaged you and I was like That third act takes a wild swing that I am still processing and had no idea whether I liked it or not. And I rewatched it. And I really think that the reason why this movie is also getting panned, it's not getting panned as as much as the last movie we talked about. But I think, again, you mess up an ending. And especially if you have a monster reveal, you better not have it be a CGI mess. The way that turns into what did you think, Shane?
1: Oh, you know, uh, OK, my cliff notes version of this movie. Yep. I I am like you for the most part. I was really invested in it is Ambar because I they pronounce it that way, like all throughout the movie. But I really was invested <laughs> in her story. And I really did. Like once they got to the whole house aspects of what was going on, I, I was digging that as well. So it, like it got the hooks in me. Yeah. The problem with this movie I had and we'll get into it, I'm sure, is it felt a little disjointed, whereas his house was an immigrant story first that tied into that that housing project where I felt like we didn't really didn't really know how to blend the two stories together. Right. Because in the end, I really her immigration story kind of fell flat and it all went to the whole haunted house aspect between the two, the, the, la- the middle and then the last third of the movie was all about the haunted house, and we got right. to that. Where I had a, a, a issue, and I was really digging that stuff, but this is where I thought the story should have been fleshed out more and you needed some more exposition with the box and what their parents were doing and what does this ritual actually mean and why does the brother keep doing it and why you know why is he drawn to it? They left a lot unexplained. We were trying to fill in the blanks with a lot of absolutely. The- but I really, even though the ending was, it was an ending, um, <laughs> uh-huh. and like you, I'm still processing it. It was something out of like a Guillermo del Toro and not a good de- Guillermo del Toro movie. <laughs> sure. But that's kind of, it, it had like a Pan's Labyrinth kind of
0: feel to it. You know but- know what it felt like a little bit? Uh, the Orphanage, which is a movie he produced that does had the same kind of vibes, like this creepy stuff tied into a backstory and everything else, but didn't quite land it right and that's
1: where i felt this one it didn't land and the, the the cgi at the end was oh it wasn't that was bad but yeah i still came walking away from this film saying it had a lot of good stuff in it, especially for a first-time director i thought like he had a lot of bare bones there and there's a lot of stuff he should just explore a little bit more to to kind of bring out yeah so overall i did like the movie i wanted to love it but i i,
0: I couldn't get it there and here's the disappointment the disappointment if you really know kind of the people involved and everything else. One, this movie is a movie that has a lot of big ideas but they never connect them. So to me it's like okay the immigrant thing is great. Her kind of being haunted by you know leaving her mom after she died and kind of trying to start her life and all that great. The whole the whole unease about, you know, she gets robbed by the only friend that she has and, and really has a lot of issues in the house and it's the only stable place she has to live, you know, otherwise she's looking at homelessness. Those are big issues that really kind of, you know, keep her tethered to this house, even though she's frightened out of her mind. Um so it, it has a lot going for that. But when you're talking about two people who produce the ritual, and the ritual for being not a very big uh movie in terms of budget it gets pretty frightening in that in those woods and even for all the cg work that they had to do for that never got to the cartoonish level and if anyone if you haven't seen this movie and you're listening to us uh try to put the pieces together for this one and really kind of uh suss it out um when i say bad cgi (laughs) i mean You know how in the mummy, (laughs) like the or is it the mummy returns the second one where it's like you get the the rock who looks nothing like the rock the scorpion king comes out like that level bad where we have like (laughs) you know memes of it going around. This is not far off, and the fact that they're setting up um, what is in the box, what's in the box, (laughs) Uh, like like it's not Gwyneth Paltrow's head. I'd actually rather it be, but. I didn't know. Like they did a actually somewhat of a job to try to set up what this monster would look like. I mean, between the room that had the the butterflies there, but I guess there's a book in there somewhere. Someone put this out online. I was like, okay, good job, sleuth, um, because there's like some page in there where they actually uh, talk about this uh, butterfly demon deity that is worshipped in the area where they say that the the parents got the box from. So like, okay, the movie doesn't do a good job getting me there. Good job in, in probably doing some detective work later, but that does not set up what the hell happens at the end of this movie.
1: No, not at all. And I shouldn't have to go looking for clues after I watch a movie. They should exactly. all be fleshed out in the movie. And there's that one scene where Ambar went into the brother's room, knocked over a bunch of pictures, saw the box, but there's no connection why she was seeing the box in her mom's room at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, linked into the end of the movie. And again, I wanted more. (laughs) Why the ritual? Like why? And I liked the the guy, the actor who played Red. Um, If you're not familiar, he was in Ozark. He was in a couple of yeah, couple episodes. I love his character. Even the guy who plays his older brother, which is a
0: Big freaking mofo. Uh yeah, I, you were talking about uh Mark Benchako who was also in uh Homeland as well, the guy who played Red. And then David uh Figlioli plays Becker, who uh he was in Lucifer recently for yes. Netflix as well.
1: I, I like that. And the other part of the movie I got confused on is when she went to dinner at the beginning of the movie, was that her like uncle or cousin or I thought that was her mother's brother, but then he introduced I carlos has
0: her second cousin right yeah which kind of yeah so i guess i think it was her cousin but like a much older cousin and then the the like carlos the one they take for a very convenient college trip uh that is close enough i guess that he makes it back in time even though he's like we're out of town i'm not coming back for you uh it, it gets very odd but um But yeah, uh, the fact that he calls him Beto and not like Uncle something or whatever, I think that's right. I think he's cousins with her. Okay. um, I'm thinking, help
1: her out more, man.
0: Like you got a nice setup where you're at in Cleveland, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And he, well, he's supposed to help her, but she's undocumented and she has to try to figure that out. So that's part of the the actual the stuff that I thought worked really well in the gambit in the early part of the movie, um, which is what drew me in because I was I felt bad for her. You know, th- this process is difficult and, you know, she she's trying to look for help. And then so she's basically trusting the people that she's supposed to trust are like, you know, not either reluctant or duplicitous, you know, and rip her off. And then, like, she has to rely even harder on people like Red and Becker uh, who own this home. And we all see what happens with that. So anyone who she has to rely on really takes her to task which for such a movie that is you know her being haunted by her mother and kind of this very personal story I'm very sad to see it also and not just on bad CGI but kind of on a not a personal note like they they have her fighting her mom but we've seen that scene before so to make it just Hey, here's the same scene, but now you have to kill your mom in your dreams to survive. And for the demon to just go, Hey, you fought a good fight with your mom. I'm just going to go crawl back in this box. I'll see you later. Like it was so anticlimactic for something that, you know, was a a not, you know, a drag out fight before we get her on the slab.
1: Right. All I kept thinking was that's all it took for you to wake up that you just had to wake up and that was it.
0: Yeah, and then right before that though too, like she's she gets uh, saved by Beto, but I oh. guess that was also a delusion.
1: Yeah, that was all in her head. So I'm thinking there's no way. My first thought was there's no way he survived that beatdown from Becker. No, <laughs> there, same. There's yeah. there no way. But then yeah. like, they, they shows you what really goes on, and I'm like, oh my god. But yeah, the whole demon D thing to get rid of is, it, like you just have to wake. You have to be strong enough to wake up. That's it, and the thing doesn't bother you anymore. Yeah. I'm like, really?
0: Okay. Yeah. And that's why I dug into kind of the IMDb scores from a lot of them where I was seeing people who, when they gave, I think, pretty accurate portrayals of the movie, gave it a little higher score where they're like, listen, I understand if you think that CGI is horrible and that they kind of botched the third act a little bit. But for a 90 minute, you know, 100 minute movie, that's, you know, 80 minutes 85 minutes, pretty solid stuff. I think this movie doesn't need to get as panned as it is. But like we talked about before, especially about horror, if you don't land the plane, when you do the big reveal, they're going to roast you.
1: Right. So let me ask you something. What do you think about the very last scene about, you know, first of all, she wouldn't have been able to walk on that ankle at all. Um,
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
1: The fact that we see what happens as she's walking closer to the door And then she decides to, you know, stay, but she kind of heals her. What what would you think about the very last scene of that movie? I'm I'm just curious.
0: Yeah. So kind of what I was saying before, where I was like, I was sad to see it not end on something more personal. Right. You know, she's a survivor. Let her survive. Let her, you know, go back home, do something with her life. She, she's a fighter. And then you basically just be like, oh, okay. She's going to be the new Becker now because, Apparently, there's an allure that if, you know, once she feeds this demon red, you know, she she's part of the problem. Now she's got, you know, I guess a connection with this demon. And that's where I get, you know, what happened to Becker, where, you know, maybe he fed (laughs) fed the demon one day. And then all of a sudden he gets these healing powers. And maybe that's how the demon gets its hooks into you and then you stay and then you keep feeding the beast literally so you know it's a way to end it but to me I for it was a tale of two movies in a in a hardcore way where she her story was so compelling that for it to go and be like oh no this is about the house and about the ghosts of you know, the, the people who have been sacrificed to this demon. Oh yeah. You know, forget your mother, forget the immigrant experience, forget everything of why you're there. Let's just concentrate on you trying to survive these, uh, you know, hillbilly assholes trying to feed a demon in the basement.
1: No, exactly. Right. And that's, I think my, my biggest issues is is two different movies and it does forget what it's supposed to be at at, at the end. And again, with you, with her being hooked back into the house, I kind of was like, Oh, really? Like let her, like you said, let her survive what she's went through and I kept yeah. healing her. Why is it Taron Becker part that he needs to keep feeding it? Cause you know, he's got the scratches and the wounds and he's got the fucked up veins and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it's like, you're thinking, well, it's obviously not healing him anymore. But then I'm like, why am I thinking about this movie too much? Like, I'm just overthinking this. I'm, I'm trying to overthink this movie.
0: Well, he does say when he's got the scratches and stuff, he knows something's wrong that she survived because he wasn't healing. And that's why he calls it out before she bursts in the door and takes them all out. Gotcha. But, but at the same time, come on. <laughs> By that point, we already had seen the demon and all these other things. The The demon's such a small part of this movie. That's why I was so shocked to be like, you didn't have to pay for that much money for this. You could have <laughs> not even shown a full demon did you really have to go full out and thinking we have to show a butterfly, but like not even full spread wings, butterfly kind of almost like the demons in the middle of, you know, kind of taking its form because the face is cloaked behind kind of like a skin or larva type thing. The wings are still kind of bound. Meanwhile, a, a set of teeth still can go like, Hovering over the person's face like they're about to losing people. I think you're losing people. No. Yeah. (laughs) It it lost me. It deserves this. So, you know, and the fact that you made your killer named Becker and all I can think about is, uh, you know, Ted Danson. All I can think about is that crappy Ted Danson sitcom. So, yeah. Nope. A lot of things uh, disappointed me at the end, but it had me. It had me so well, which is why I think I'm more leaning two and a half. On this one, because I'm like, there was a lot of substance here. You you just messed up some really crucial elements at the wrong time, and unfortunately, that knocks it back, uh, you know, a few notches.
1: I gave the same exact score today. I graded it out. I gave it a two and a half because, like you said, I think this director has potential. I yeah. think he showed a lot of good things with his first feature film, and again, it had a lot of nice be- uh, bones to it. But they again, they just missed. They missed a mark on some just key moments in the movie that I just couldn't forgive. But then right. I felt bad because it didn't have me hooked. It had me hooked in there until it didn't. So I know, but I still give it a two and a half.
0: So Shane, now that we've gone through what we thought were the headlining acts, where do you see yourself now with the rest of your consumption? Because next week we're going to cover uh, the uh, Escape the Undertaker interactive thing with with uh stew from uh stew world order and uh we're we're also going to probably talk about um the movies that made us uh is coming out with a bunch of horror edition ones Ooh. so where uh they're covering Halloween Nightmare on Elm Street um and and uh uh Friday the 13th the original Friday as well so um I figure that's going to be a fun time cuz that gets kind of like the nostalgia bone going you know and and all of that which is a good time to do this time of year a lot of people have things they revisit um but you know like i said what we got left here is that kind of stuff you got night teeth you and you got uh potentially another crappy sequel that we'll talk about at the end um and then stuff like fever dream which is out uh on wednesday and then uh hypnotic so of those which one are you looking forward to and how can i disappoint you today
1: Oh, boy. Well, I'm, i of the ones you just said, I'm really looking forward to 19th. nineteenth. Yeah. The, the most, I think that's going to be just fun. I'm looking, I hope it's fun. It, the trailer looked fun. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Hypnotic, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to. But I'm really disappointed overall in this year compared to last year with the yeah. whole flix and chill. So far, they I think they've struck out every single Wednesday night for the most part. <laughs> and i yeah a int- little bit i did watch intrusion and i don't even want to waste my breath
0: talking about that movie yeah
1: um, and you warned me about that movie you did i
0: did yeah it, that's it, why it, you come to this podcast shane you got you got <laughs> it was fair warning man it was absolutely just terrible terrible well i'll i'll, I'll preview a little bit here because i did get the the screener for night teeth and what I will say is I think you won't be disappointed. I don't know how you'll feel ultimately about the film, but I don't think you'll be like totally disappointed. Good. So I'm giving you a very low bar to, to cross, but I don't That's want to give right now. away. But yeah, you need to set yeah. the
1: bar low because I set yeah. it high with their soap. Their in your high. Yeah. And that one failed me, but so hypnotic, um, Night Teeth, and then I will watch the sequel to No One Sleeps in the Woods tonight because I'm a psychopath. Yeah. I'm a psychopath. Yeah. I got, I'm sick.
0: I have a disease. I'm fuck <laughs> I know that it's 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 sad that I don't want to kind of look over all these and just be like well army of thieves is coming and I, and I got my uh, you know uh, if you live I don't know if it'll be around your area or anything but they have advanced tickets right now for the harder they fall that all black cast Western with uh, some amazing actors uh, they're doing a theater run and that I'm going to be able to watch uh, hopefully I think it's what uh, a week or two so yeah. Uh, so that'll be fun, you know, get to see, I love seeing Netflix films out in the wild. It's great. Right. Like, it's great to ha- see, like, the full experience instead of being like, I had this experience. Let me talk to somebody else and see what their experience was. I want to kind of get that sense of, you know, how these movies work with a crowd some, sometimes. So it will be pretty cool to kind of do that. Uh, so I plan on doing that. And if you live in the Connecticut area and you're interested in that movie, um, I know the Cinemark there's a few Cinemark locations who do have that film. So look into it. They're even doing kind of a Thursday nighter like they have been for these openings. So very cool for me, man. Very cool to be a, a Netflix podcaster <laughs> out in the wild talking to people and seeing it, not just sitting on my couch. Always a good time. Um, a little bigger screen. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. A little better. not think set. I've
1: ever seen a Netflix film on the big screen before.
0: Yeah, I've been – Connecticut's decent in terms of, like, especially the awards films, uh, the the end-of-the-year stuff, and I was also able to see Army of the Dead on the big screen uh, this past, uh, you know, a few months back or what have you. Um, But I know uh, The Harder They Fall, uh, Passing, uh, The Power of the Dog, and uh, a few other of the ones coming up, uh, Don't Look Up, I believe is going to get a small theatrical run, and and the – The Lost Daughter and The Unforgivable, uh, which is the Sandra Bullock movie, is also getting uh, a run there, too. So uh, there's quite a few coming out in the next couple months. And, of course, the one that I would prefer to see in the big screen, Red Notice, uh, won't be on the big screen. Which makes zero sense, but anyway. I think that was because it was how they acquired the rights. So I think that's, that's the issue. It's not a Netflix thing. It's just how that landed in their lap from... I want to say either Paramount or Universal. One of the ones where I knew when they acquired it, I was like, "Um, don't you have a streaming service of your own you wanted to prop up with this? But I guess it was so expensive that they couldn't do it at the time. So, right, you know, their loss, Netflix's gain, hopefully our gain, too, as we get to cover that uh, in a one month's time uh, at this point. So whew, hopefully we're coming up to better days, Shane, Um, and Hopefully we'll have to have you back on uh, to take a look at these last remaining Halloween films. If you have the time, we'll, we'll see how we can continue
1: this conversation. I always make the time for you, sir. So whenever you need me, I like to have the call to the big leagues.
0: Hey, I appreciate it, man. Always a good time with you. And we'll talk to you soon. Come back, everybody. We got all the rest of the Netflix and Chills 2021 to cover. See you next time.